All right. Well, today's message, uh, today's scripture comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. I'll be reading from the ESV, and we encourage you to find the scripture uh, in a pew Bible or if you brought your own Bible or Bible app, uh, but it will also be projected behind me. So again, that's Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my body of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, today's message is called grace. And, um, you know, thinking about that word grace, which obviously has great meaning uh, for us uh, in the church, uh, but it's also a word that has been used a lot obviously, in in society. And one of the most common ways that gets used is before meals. We talk about saying grace before meals. And uh, I think that's a wonderful phrase. Um, And uh, I I was uh, looking into, um, you know, when I was researching uh, the sermon, I found this picture. Uh, It is called Grace Before the Meal by Fritz Fritz von Oud. Uh, And it was uh, painted in 1885. And so in this picture, you see a family preparing their meal. And while they're preparing their meal, uh, you see Jesus coming up and joining the meal with them. And I thought that was very cool. Uh, you know, that idea that when we say grace, you know, what we mean by that uh, now is it's sort of a, a short Thanksgiving, a short prayer we say before a meal. And I wonder um, if we really do get the sense that Jesus is coming and he's going to be with us in that meal. I think for most of us, when we say grace, it just becomes a very commonplace thing, uh, something we don't really think about. Uh, Probably also with communion. Uh, For a lot of us, it's become very routine. And maybe it loses some of its specialness as well. Um, But I, I think this idea that Jesus is available to us in the meal, but also in ordinary life, that grace is sort of unleashed unto us through what Jesus has done for us on the cross is one of the things that, is, uh, that we are reminded of in communion. And today's uh, passage is about 
the, the original uh, Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Um, but as we look into this, I, I want us to see the grace uh, that is just permeating this whole passage. It's just soaking in grace. And, and um, one of the ways that I want us to see this is also to see the roots of what the Last Supper was about. Because the Last Supper, as we'll find out, um, was a Passover meal. So we're told in verse 12, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So again, it is a Passover meal. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now, it wasn't an uncommon thing for people to go to Jerusalem for this feast. Uh, for uh, you, you hear in the beginning that they sacrificed the Passover lamb that day. And you would have to do this in the temple. You would bring your own lamb, uh, an unblemished lamb, and you would sacrifice it there, and they would catch the blood in a bowl, and they would burn up the lamb right there at the temple, and you would bring it back home. Um, or if you were not from Jerusalem, you would have to find a guest room. So this was not an uncommon thing to find a guest room to have Passovers because there would be lots of pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. But an interesting thing, I think, is that for most people, Passover would be a family meal. And in this sense, uh, Jesus' family is his disciples, right? And he's sharing this Passover meal with them. And as you're going to find out very soon, it's a dysfunctional family, right? But Jesus is family nonetheless. And so they go to prepare the meal. And Mark doesn't fill in the details of this, but I, I looked up some stuff about Passover that I thought was kind of interesting that I wanted to share with you. So what would have taken for preparation? Uh, so uh, Mary or Liz So usually prepare our, our, uh, our communion table for us. And it's very easy. They get bread and they get Juice and, well, it's easy, but we still appreciate it. Thank you, Mary, for doing that. <laughs> but it's easy compared to what you would do for a Passover meal. There would be all these different elements. And so some of the things would be obviously the bread, but it would be unleavened bread, uh, matzo bread, as you may know it. Uh, it would have been very flat because unleavened bread meant that there was no yeast in it to make the bread rise. And the reason why they had unleavened bread, and you would eat it throughout the entire feast, uh, is because... Uh, the idea was that during the Passover, that uh, the people of Israel had to leave very quickly, and they didn't have time for their bread to rise. And the term Passover and the lamb are very closely related. And the reason why you would always have a lamb there is because what happened was uh, the people were, uh, this is celebrating um, the freedom, the liberation of uh, the Israelites from Egypt. They were slaves, and as you can imagine, Egypt and Pharaoh did not want to let them go. And despite numerous, numerous attempts to get Pharaoh to free the slaves, he would not free them. And so God sent a series of plagues, and each one uh, was, was not good, but Pharaoh remained stubborn, and he would not let them go until the final plague. The final plague was the, the, the harshest. And what it was is the the Spirit of God would hover over all the houses, and the firstborn in each house would die. But what the people of Israel were instructed to do was to take a lamb, and a flawless lamb, and to kill it, and to take the blood, 
and to stain the doorposts with it. And the implication is very clear with Passover. So the spirit would pass over the houses where it would see the blood of the lamb. And so it is very fitting that the night that Jesus was arrested, they were having a Passover meal, right? And you may know that oftentimes we call Jesus the Lamb of God. Jesus died in our place, right? His blood was spilled so that we would not have to die. And there were other elements to the Passover meal. They would have a bowl of salted water. And the bowl of salted water would symbolize the tears of the people of Israel crying over all those years that they were slaves in Egypt. They would take a paste, and uh, the paste would be made out of uh, reddish-brownish fruits and and nuts, and they would grind it together, and it would resemble the mortar that the slaves were forced to make bricks out of. Uh, And they would have uh, bitter herbs, that, that, that would be the vegetables that they would eat uh, because that would symbolize uh, the bitterness of slavery that they endured. And so what would happen is the youngest person in the household would ask a question. And during the meal, they would say, why is this night not like every other night? And they would ask, why do we do all these different things? And then one of the elders would share the Passover story and how God liberated the people of Israel. And so all of this is going on. And they would have had this traditional sort of Passover meal when they prepared uh, this Passover. So uh, the disciples set out, went to the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover there. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, and by the way, you would always recline at table at Passover, And the reason why is because that's what free people would do. Slaves would have to stand, but the honored guests would recline at the table. And so to symbolize their freedom, they would always recline at table. And so they were reclining at table and eating. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, friends, this is very interesting. Why does Jesus do this? Jesus knows all things, right? He knows who's going to betray him. So number one, why doesn't he just say it? Why doesn't he just out him right there? Likely, the disciples would have dealt very severely with him, maybe even killed him, right, if they found out that Judas was going to betray Jesus. And maybe Judas thought he was really slick, but you can't hide anything from Jesus. He knows. And yet, he doesn't out Jesus. And so, uh, I was reading a commentary, and William Barclay was saying that this is, he calls this passage, love's last appeal. In other words, Jesus is giving Judas one more chance. Hey, man, I know it's about to go down. One of you is going to betray me. Are you sure you want to do this? Right? And when it gets to the very end, he says, hey, the, the Son of Man goes as it, is, as it is written of him. 
Some things have to happen. This isn't about me trying to avoid uh, suffering or uh, being arrested. I know that has to happen. But one of you is going to betray me. And he says this very harsh thing. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. We might read this as a threat. I see this more as Jesus just saying what's going to happen. Hey, are you sure you want to do this? You're going to regret it. And we know that Judas does, because Judas kills himself after he portrays Jesus, right? And this is Jesus' grace. And it's amazing, because he knows what's going to happen. He gives him another chance to turn back from his way, right? And even still, through this whole scenario, he's sharing a meal with his betrayer. Right? It, it's it's a, a very beautiful thing. When you share a meal with someone in that time, and it's also true of now, you share meals with your friends, with your family. It is a way of extending friendship and fellowship with another person. Hey, man, good to see you. You know, maybe your friend comes to see you from out of town. What is one of the things you probably do? Hey, let's go get a meal together right? Hey, next time you're in town, man, I'd love to see you. Let's catch up over a meal, right? It is the hand of fellowship. And Jesus does not withdraw the hand of fellowship. The whole time, you're dipping your bread into the same bowl as me. You're eating the same food as me. And back then, I mean, you know, they would have shared this meal together. It's probably, you know, today we'd be like, oh, germs or whatever, right? He's sharing his germs. He's swapping saliva. He's sharing this very intimate meal with his betrayer. By the way, I know we're very hard on Judas, but we're going to talk more about this next week in the story that comes next week. But all the disciples fail Jesus in some way, right? Peter denies Jesus three times. The disciples, they all run away scared, right? And so it's not only Judas that Jesus is graciously extending a hand of fellowship to who's going to fail him, but it's every one of his disciples. Brothers and sisters, I resonate with this so deeply because I know for me that I am not able to live the life that you know, God wants for me so often. You know, there's so many times I say things so boldly, oh God, I'll never let you down again. God, I'm going to be faithful God, I'm going to do this or that for you. And then I check it out. Or I overthink it. And then all those self-preservation things kick in and just end up not doing it. I end up doing the thing that's comfortable that I've always done. Not maybe perhaps the challenging thing that God might be calling me to do. And it's one of those things that brings a lot of shame. Friends, what we do in the, the Lord's Supper, we call it communion. And the reason why we call it communion, just look at those words. What, what is that about? Well, you got the word union, right? We, we know what that means, right? But the com part is with. Union with God. How does that come about? In the United Methodist Church, we are very... Uh, uh, insistent on how we do communion, that communion is open to everyone. I know some other faith traditions do a little bit different. You you have to get baptized first, 
or you know you, you got to do some kind of ritualistic thing before you do it. But in the United Methodist Church, we don't. And the reason why is because we believe this is a meal of grace. What is grace? It is a free gift given to you. Do you ever have a meal with someone and you really don't want them to pay? Maybe there's someone you don't like very much and they want to pay for you. And you're like, mm, no, I'm going to pay my own way. Right? Or maybe a date you don't like, right? <laughs> like, mm, no, I don't want, 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 want you to feel like I owe you anything. So I'm going to pay my own way, right? And there is uh, this graciousness in a meal that is prepared for you that you did not earn, that you did not deserve. You didn't pay for that food. You didn't earn the right to be there. It's just graciously given. And I know for me, I'm very stubborn about this. I don't like letting other people pay for me. But it's actually a good discipline to receive grace. To say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to receive this. That's what you do with a gift. That is what grace is. And that is what unites us with God. It is not what you do. It is not about you cleaning up your act and being this really good Christian on the outside. Because if that were true, then we would just be called Pharisees. That's what Pharisees did. I know we're really hard on Pharisees, but Pharisees were really, really, really good at external behavior. And friends, that's one of the weird things about the church is we've gotten very, very obsessed with external behavior. There's a lot of people, we judge them all over the place. We're like, oh, what are you doing in church? I know what you did. Right? There was even this, this saying uh, uh, that I, I think it was like a Southern saying, like, uh, man, I'm sweating more than a sinner in church. What is the implication of that? The sinner is in church and is like, I'm not supposed to be here. Oh my gosh, people are going to look at me and they're going to know I'm unworthy. They're going to know I blew it big time. But that is not what earns you the ability to be united with God. What earns you it is something that you have not done at all. It is simply what Jesus has done for you. It's so countercultural. I know you've probably heard this before, friends, but one of the fears that I have about church and about Christianity is we hear this thing, and grace, I'll be honest, it's so countercultural, so radical that we want to dismiss it. And I think we subconsciously do it by doing this. We say, I received grace once, good enough. That's all I need. Now I can go back to earning. Now I can go back to deserving. Now I can go back to achieving and being all about this external stuff, right? And I think that's a big mistake. Don't get me wrong, friends. What Jesus did, he only needed to do once. But make no mistake, you need to receive grace all the time. Jesus knew this. That's why he told us to do this in remembrance of him, right? That is why this has been transformed from a Passover meal to what we call communion, because union with God is something that shouldn't just happen once a year. There are some churches who do communion every week. You know, we do it once a month. But Jesus said, do it as often as you meet. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I think the reason why he said that is he wanted to remind us. Remember, you are like these disciples. You are like this Judas coming to this table continually. 
And every time you come, remember the only thing that makes you worthy to come to this table is what I have done for you, not what you have done to earn the right to come to this table. Right? All of our worth, all of who we are, comes from this free, gracious gift. You are now like Jesus. You are a child of God. You are welcomed into the kingdom. And I love this. I want to do a little bit of sort of a spin on this next part. And this part is what we actually talk about every time we do communion. We're going to do communion in a little bit. And so this will take the place of that teaching. But it's the same thing, right? As they were eating, he took the bread. Remember, this would have been matzo bread. It would have been uh, crispy. <laughs> it would have been crunchy. It, it, it wouldn't have been like soft and fluffy. It's okay, you know, symbolically, you know, we can use other bread. Uh, but th- this bread would have made a fantastic just cracking noise, right? Um, and, and so he took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it and he gave it to them. And he say, said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. All drank of it, friends. They all drank of it. Who drank of it? Well, you know, Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. Peter, the denier of Jesus. All the scaredy cats who would run away later that night. They all drank of it. That's grace, friends. That is something we need. All the time. Friends, it's one of the reasons why I practice the way I do my spirituality. My spirituality is mostly about just being with God. Not, you know, there may be times where I pray lots of words, but man, my prayers lately, you know, I'm reminded of kind of what Jesus says about prayer. You know, don't use lots of words like the pagans. God already knows what you're going to say. Come and be with me. And yes, there are words that declare our intent and, and, and our desperate need to be with God and, and our desperate need for God. God, I need you for daily bread. You know, those words are good, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying words are bad. But remember what Jesus says. Why shouldn't we pray like the pagans? Because he says the pagans think they're convincing God by their many words. Like, oh man, I got a good prayer right here, right? I'm going to pray really, really long. Now, God, you have to answer my prayer. Oh, I'm going to pray really passionately. I'm going to cry these tears. Because I cried those tears, now you are indebted to me. Now you have to give me what I want. Mm, That's not what it is, friend. It's just grace. It's just communion. Come and be with me. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't need to read 50 pages of scripture, unless you want to. I mean, you can There's freedom in Christ. Don't get me wrong. Reading scripture is not bad. But I wonder if we could just maybe just take one short passage during your time with God and just soak in that. It's not about what you do, friends. That part has already been solved. I think for so many of us, we struggle with this because this is the way the world works. It's always about what you do. It's always, I have to earn something. And so we go before God and we're like, oh, I need to pray a fantastic prayer. I need to pray a long prayer. I need to read all this stuff. It's more earning and achieving, friends, 
rather than that gracious, uh, continual rhythm of just coming before God completely undeserved. You ever not pray because you feel so sinful? Friends, what is that about? Oh, man, I can't pray today. Mm, I don't even want to go to church today. I know some people who don't go to church because they feel so sinful. That is the complete opposite of grace. That's the complete opposite of the gospel. That is, I mean, it's Judaism, right? That is what the Pharisees would do. Clean yourself up first, and then you come to God. Now, you just come as you are, and you just receive. It it is a, a, a completely revolutionary thing. And one that I have found is so restful and peaceful. Remember we mentioned that the Passover meal, you would recline. So today we're all going to lay down in the pews. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do this. (laughs) But just imagine what that's like. Hey, you know what? Why don't you lay down at this meal? Hmm. But this kind of formal meal. You lay down because that's what free people do. You rest. You rest. You don't have to be on your feet serving and running around and doing all this stuff. You can just be graciously at this table that God has prepared for you. And you can take your leave. You can relax. You can enjoy. That is grace, friends. Every day. It doesn't have to be a meal. It can be a meal. You can be reminded of that in the meal. It can be every day. You know, I I know so many people, when they talk to me about spending time with God, they feel so bad. They're like, Pastor Steve, I'm not spending time with God. Like, why do you feel so bad? It's just grace, right? It's not a legalistic thing. It never says, like, you must spend time with me, but you get to spend time with me. It's a wonderful thing, right? And when you spend time with God, just take a load off, rest. Sometimes people fall asleep. Well, you know what? You probably needed that rest. Just receive that from the Lord. When you wake up from your quiet time, instead of, I used to always be like, oh my gosh, I'm horrible. Like, what kind of pastor falls asleep during his quiet time? You know, be like a tired pastor, right? You know, just receive that. God, thank you for my rest. Thank you for my sleep. You know, I I personally actually don't lie down during my quiet time because I do want to stay awake for it. But, you know, friends, the point is that it is not about what you do It is not about what you earn. It is simply about the gift that God is giving to you. Jesus did the heavy lifting, so to speak. He was on that cross. And yes, there may be a time where you are called to die as well. But friends, make no mistake. The real grace, the true grace, the grace that inspires our grace, that inspires us to give freely. And by the way, if you are called to love, love is costly. I don't want to shortchange that or or not mention that. But friends, if you give of yourself, that you give that freely as well, that you don't give because, you know, you're like, oh man, I have to give because I owe God something. Mm. No, you give because God has inspired grace in you. That is what free people do. That is what the people of God, that is what the sons and daughters of God do. We are a part of the family business, right? And we are about love. We are about reconciliation. We do that too. Friends, part of the communion uh, meal is the sense of it is an open table. 
but there's a little bittersweet element to it. Who else is not at this table? Who else is not at this table? Is there a betrayer of Jesus? Is there somebody who failed Jesus, who didn't want to come? Because they thought, I'm not worthy. Mm. I don't deserve to be here. And friends, as we take of this meal and we savor the sweetness of it, how good it is, we receive that grace that we also remember. There are other people who are called to this table too. Let's bring them too. Let's have a party together. Let's have this gracious meal together. Not literally just communion, but the life of God, the life that God wants to give you. And so, friends, at the very end, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You know, so Jesus says, hey, this is my last meal before the kingdom comes. Now, it's interesting. I don't really know. Um, I, I have to go back and do maybe a more careful study. Does Jesus drink wine again when the disciples come? He may have. What is he talking about? Because we usually look at this and we say, oh, he's talking about heaven. But maybe Jesus is talking about the kingdom that comes in his resurrection. We are a part of a new kingdom. And now that Passover meal has been transformed. That now when we take that meal, that is a meal done in God's kingdom. Done in a a, a new way, a new way of being. A kingdom that is not made of people who've cleaned up their own acts but people who are sinners and broken and lost that God has called. And yes, he does want to purify you. Make no mistake of that. He does want to clean up your life. But he's going to do that from the inside out, right? And that is not something you can do on your own. What you must do is you come and you receive that grace. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. What is the blood? It is the blood of the covenant. It is the blood that covers a multitude of sin. Whatever sin you have, friends, know that it is covered in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, I just think it's fitting. Why don't we go into communion?